welcome to episode 52 of the Tech Done Right podcast, TableXI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. On this episode, we're talking about developer tools. Developers use a variety of tools other than their programming language to get their jobs done. Our guest this week is Brian Hogan, a technical editor for DigitalOcean. Brian's a prolific technical educator, writer, and editor, and he's currently the author of the book Small Sharp Software Tools from the Pragmatic Press. We talk about why command line tools in particular are important, what command line tools do well, and why some people, including myself, often find them opaque and confusing. We talk about our favorite tools and about customizing your workflow to fit your needs. What are your favorite developer tools? Which ones did you find hard to learn or do you consider particularly important? Let us know at techdonewrite.io slash 52 or on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. Before we start the show, I have one quick message. TableXI offers training for developer and product teams. If you want me to come to your place of business and run a workshop on testing or Rails and JavaScript or legacy code or estimation, I would very much like to do that. Also, if you are in the Chicago area, be on the lookout for monthly public workshops starting in early 2019. For more information, email us at workshops at tablexi.com or hit us on the web at tablexi.com slash workshops. And now, here is my conversation with Brian. Brian, would you like to tell everybody who you are and what you've been doing? Sure. I'm Brian Hogan. I'm a web developer, educator, lifelong learner, uh, and I currently work at uh, DigitalOcean as the editorial manager for our uh, Write for Donations program. I'm the author of a book called Small Sharp Software Tools. It's a book uh, on learning how to use the command line, and uh, it starts out uh, starts out very gentle, very very basic for beginners, and then kind of ramps up through uh, through the rest of the book. So I'm hoping that there's uh, uh, you know enough in there to get people who are new to the CLI excited, and something in there that uh, delights people who already feel they're pretty confident around the CLI. So I'm I'm really proud of that, and that ends up being the tenth uh, the tenth book for Prag Prog that I've done. Ten ten is a lot. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a lot, and that's coming from somebody who has also has more than one, which is a little unusual. So, all right, so let's let's start. Let's talk about command line things. So, as I, I, I we record this, we're recording this right uh, a couple of days before Thanksgiving. I just got back from RubyConf, where I was part of basically two back to back talks. Uh, one of which was about uh, not mine was uh, about using the command line and about dot files and things like that. And mine was a little bit about command line, but more about thinking carefully about the tools that you use, whether they're command line tools or whether they are not command line tools. What's the biggest benefit do you see for developers, especially novice developers becoming really comfortable on the command line? I think there's a, there's a couple of things. One of the things that I, I believe strongly in is that that's where the real like the real levers and power is to your your operating system. We, we kind of have this the GUI is there for people who are the average users, but I don't I don't think that software developers really fall into that category of the average user. And so when when I look at the CLI, I look at it as a bunch of small little pieces that you can then put together to create more complex workflows that you can get stuff done with. And I think that appeals to people who are novice programmers because it's the sort of the the first step to understanding automation. The, the idea that you can take a, a handful of tools, chain them together, and you create a, a pipeline uh, that processes some data, that's sort of what, what, you, what you learn about when you're new to programming. You have some inputs, and you, you process it, and you produce some kind of an output. And so that model kind of falls uh, squarely there on the CLI. The other reason is that, that, that the front-end world especially has 
really embraced um, CLI tools, you know, things like create react app and things like that. And so you're, you know, you're, you're asking these new JavaScript developers, Hey, we're going to throw you into a command line interface in order to run this create react app. And so I think that's important that people who are thrown into that kind of environment should feel comfortable and confident that they can do more than just, uh, just that. I have complicated feelings about this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So here's, here's, this is actually the background story that I didn't tell. I, I dropped. I forgot to tell it in my in my RubyConf talk, which is that when I was a college computer science undergrad, uh, our first class uh, we used C as a programming language. This is in the early 1990s, and so so my this actually was not my first class, but it was it was a very early class in the sequence. And we had these. We we, we were all supposed to be in a lab with dumb terminals that all were off a central server. Um, because that was what you had in computer labs in 1990. And we were supposed to turn in programs using this, but they never taught us how to use the command line. They never taught us how to use the Unix system at all. They were teaching us C, so they weren't teaching us the command line. And some people knew it, and I was not one of them. And I just got like super frustrated and wound up going back to my dorm, uh, which was much better lit and had uh, better snacks, and used like a uh, Turbo C, Borland Turbo C, and turned everything in with that. And ever since then, I've had this relationship with command line tools where I've gotten better at using them, but I also find that their sort of general opacity and lack of, of, of user experience in their design to be kind of frustrating, and yet acknowledge that they are tremendously important for developers to be able to work their way around. Like, as you say, like the, the, there's a ton of developer tools that are only accessible or best accessible uh, through command lines. And I, I'm wondering how you think about the developer experience or whether you see that complexity as being a barrier to developers as they start. I've always thought it was a, a bit uh, of a barrier to entry. And, and that's um, that's why I actually started including them in the courses that I taught. So in, in 2012, 2016, I taught a first semester course for software developers and most of the course was using the command line because I knew that they were going to encounter it in the rest of their coursework. And I found through doing that, because you do something like that and then you iterate on it. You figure out, okay, what what worked, what didn't work. You test all your assumptions, you get feedback from from people who are learning. You know, you see where the where are the holes, where are the things that don't make sense. But it turned out that it was a great, gentle way to introduce students to the concept of automation and problem solving. Because you could say, well, I need to create a file with this many lines. Here are the tools that you have in order to do that. How do we do that? And so from a, you know, from a learning the concept of computers, if you've never written a line of code before, they're an interesting way of doing it because you see a lot of what happens when you click a button in a GUI. You see that these are the things that kind of have to happen. It, it removes some of the abstraction away when someone's looking at a looking at learning to program for the first time. But I think the other issue that it, this is what you're hitting on in, in your thoughts is why I sat down to write this book. Because I do think that a lot of the problems that people encounter with the CLI is that it is, it's not very friendly. And I don't have control over the tools to make them friendly, but I do have control over how to present them in a way that makes sense and is welcoming and, and, and uh, empowering for people who are new. And so that's what I'm trying to do with this book is I'm trying to say, let's, well, I'm not, I'm not going to cover every single possible option, but I am going to say, let's look at this from 
here are some problems we need to solve, and then here's how you can use these tools to solve these specific, these specific problems. Uh, because I think that sort of takes away, because if you look at the man page for something, it's like, wow, that's a lot of options there. But really, when you start thinking about, like, if you're, if you're a software developer who's an experienced software developer who's used the command line, you're probably very capable of creating a very, very quick command to look at your command history and see what the most used commands are which is kind of what I did. And that's what helps you, you figure, okay, what, what do people really need to know? They don't need to know everything, but they need a good starting point. And I think that's that's the trick with the CLIs. Ease people in, get them confident feeling what they need to know. And then just like programming, right? You, you solve a few problems. Now you need to solve a little bit bigger problems. So you expand your knowledge uh, and you go out like that. And I see a lot of the resources that I've come across in the past are just, they just throw a huge massive web pages at you and just say, Hey, here, just go type these commands to do these things. And and I don't think that's helping anybody. Yeah. I definitely think it's true that historically this has not been a topic that gets explicitly taught from first principles. Like it's sort of assumed that you will sort of know it or it is taught kind of along the way. Like a lot of programming books or resources will say, go to the command line and type this to get started, but they won't say like, here's what you're actually doing on the command line. You know, you are interacting with a special kind of program called a shell and to talk about it at first principles. What do you see as the concepts that, that people struggle with or never really quite internalize when they're dealing with, you know, Unix command line tool? I think it's more that they cargo call things like they'll get an answer God, from yes. stack overflow <laughs> and that's the command that they will use. Like they will just use that command over and over again. And, and you know, like how do you get a directory listing? Well, you just type LS LF, you know, do you always need the L do you always need the F what, you know, why are you, why are you doing those kinds of things? It's uh, how do you, how do you look up the, 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 uh, the processes on your machine? Is it, you know, which, which, which command is it? And so you just kind of learn it from memory because you picked it up and you don't really necessarily understand what you're doing or why it works you just do it and it becomes this rote thing that you do uh similar to like if you use rails it's rails new that's the command i always you know rake db migrate that's the command i use and you know take someone for example who's been doing rails for 10 years convince them that they should use rails db migrate instead of rake db migrate it becomes this like muscle memory thing that you just you know you just do and i think that's kind of the thing is like it's it's the lack of understanding because like as soon as I started figuring out how I can actually use things like awk and said in my daily work, the light bulb came on for me. It's like, oh, I don't have to open a text editor for this kind of stuff. Or, oh, geez, I don't even need to write a CSV parser for this very trivial thing I'm working with. I can do that relatively quickly here. Sure. And you should probably quick, we should probably quick say what awk and said are. Yeah, awk is a uh, uh, <laughs> awk is a programming language in your shell. It's a it's a very interesting text uh, processing language. And people see a command, uh, and the, the, the most common uses for it are to like pluck out pieces of text in some output somewhere. So you might take a directory listing and and you'll send it to the awk program, and then you'll you'll print out one of the columns or something like that. But it, it's actually a, a very much more complicated programming language that you have access to, to do text processing. And said is a uh, called, is short for stream editor. And it's, you can use it to transform text as it comes through and find and replace stuff. And you can even use it to uh, prepend a line to a text file, append a line to a text file, even insert text from another file into an existing file. So you can build a whole templating language out of those two tools if you're so inclined. But I think that's kind of the power is that you have all this stuff at your disposal 
and it's there on so many machines. I mean, Microsoft has really been putting a lot of uh, focus and effort into bringing the 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 Linux, uh, the bash shell, a proper bash shell to windows now. And, you know, if you're on windows 10, you can take advantage of that, which means you have these, these tools where, you know, 10 years ago, people used to be like, I'll just go install, uh, Python or Ruby or something on this machine because I want, I, I need these kinds of tools and this OS doesn't have what I'm looking for. And so now by learning a handful of these really, uh, interesting tools, you don't have to do that so much. It might be, it might be easier sometimes to use your your favorite programming language of choice but it's nicer to know that you don't have to and you can cobble together some pretty great workflows to get some stuff done that uh, just learning some of these tools there was a, about a six month period where i felt like i actually understood said and awk enough to use them and then i didn't need them for a while and <laughs> it's now gone away <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah there's this whole the whole concept of kind of the the Unix command line flow of you have a number of small tools that take to do one thing and transform a piece of text that that whole sort of text processing chain of of grep uh, for doing regular expression searches and sed and awk and and a couple of others that, you know like cat and and all a couple of other things that I'm probably forgetting that's a yeah, I, I guess you, you're, you're talking about it as being like a, a stepping stone to full programming, which I guess is like it's certainly not how not how it was developed, but is kind of what it looks like now. Look how much the, it, it, some of the up and coming. You know, well, look, functional languages are becoming this like huge deal now. More and more programmers every day are taking a look at things like Elixir and F Sharp and you know and the various kinds of things. And and a lot of them just have this thing in common where they just they they encourage you to create data pipelines. And they encourage you to take the result of one function. They actually have operators, these pipe operators that will that will do that. And you're 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 learning the concept on the command line of use this tool to solve this problem, and then use this tool to solve this problem, and then pass it to this tool to solve this problem. And that's a really good sustainable way to think about software development too. Use this function to solve this problem, then use this function to solve this problem, and then use this function to solve this problem. We've all seen what happens when you have one function that does way too many things. And I think so that's when you're, when you're thinking about it from the very beginner standpoint, it really is kind of refreshing to start thinking, no, I don't, I don't really need this tool to do all of this work for me. I can use this tool to do this piece and then I can kick it over to this other tool to do this part of it. There's, there's a real power there and it's a real power that you sort of deny yourself if you commit yourself to cargo culting and, and you know, the, 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 I want to say ethos of cargo culting, you know, is just up and down, like the way that the developer communities interact with the command lines. It's the, uh, I have this Vim RC file that I got from somebody else who got it from somebody else who got it from somebody else. And nobody knows what all of it does. The joke about there only being one person who understands Emacs configuration files has been around like since I was a college student, uh, at least. And, what I would advocate, I think, is is sort of being thoughtful about understanding the tools that you learn and trying not to be dependent on stuff that you don't understand. I don't know, but on the other hand, I have a I use a bunch of Z shell aliases that I don't completely understand. So, I mean, I I, <laughs> I, I kind of know where they came from, but I do have a couple things that I depend on that I, I don't know very very well. Well, I think for me, it's been mostly. I need some kind of text transformation, some kind of automation, things like that. I need those, those kinds of things come up a lot. Um, whether I'm giving a conference talk or whatever, I've or or just doing something as part of my daily my daily routine. Like one of the things that I wanted to do recently was I gave a talk, and I knew that the slide deck was going to be online. 
And I have had, I've had some situations in the past where, so I've, I've spoken on two separate occasions where the lights have gone out and the projector system have gone out. And, you know, I always have a backup plan. I have like the full slide deck available online where people can grab it on their phones and we can kind of follow along similarly like a, like a 1980s style film strip where we yeah. just go to the next slide, <laughs> go to the next slide, you know, which is interesting. But since, you know, since that happened, I've always, I always have two versions of my slide deck. I always have like one where my typical style is to introduce something and then just kind of live code and discuss and talk through something. But when the lights go out and the projector system goes out, you can't live code. So my backup plan is to always have that stuff in the slides. And that helps then when I want to share the slides online, because then I don't just have a, a few slides and then a thing that says demo, and then you can't follow along. I have the whole slides in there. I started doing my slides in Markdown. Mm-hmm. And so then what I ended up doing was putting some comment strings in the Markdown document. And then, you know, with a really, really quick make file, I can produce the long version of the slides and then uh, create a small version of the slides by using sed to find and replace and uh, inject comments to comment out the slides where the placeholders are. And it's just the, the idea that I don't, I don't need a separate programming language to do that. It really is a single sed command that replaces a string with some comments and uh, a make file, which I just have, I just happen to have make there on, on the system that I'm using. I didn't need to write a program to do this or anything, just leveraging the tools and then using a command line tool to generate my slide decks. Yeah. Make uh, being the tool that, that is a longstanding Unix tool to build that, that is used to describe uh, generating files from other files. Yeah. I mean, you can use it as a task or you can use it as a task language. If you're familiar with all the other ones like rake and there's so many, everybody's reinvented make. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 t- I tend to reach for rake in those situations because I understand it. And because make files, yeah. make files are like legitimately confusing. I think it's funny that, so I also write presentations in Markdown uh, using a, a Mac app called Dexet to render them. Yeah. That's what I, yeah. that's what I use. Right. Yeah. So I, <laughs> so uh, I get very frustrated when I'm editing a, mark, a Markdown Dexet file, when I want to move slides. So the way that this works is there's Markdown and there's like a, a delimiter between the slides. And I always forget like when I'm cutting and pasting, whether I've pasted the delimiter or, or <laughs> not. And like, I always want to just drag a slide. I just want to drag things around and you can't really do that in the text file. So what I did was I built an Electron app using Elm that parses the file and gives me a GUI. <laughs> for Dexet and then saves the file back out. And it does a couple of other cool things that, that are a little tricky to do like directly in the editor. So I think that's really funny that your instinct is to reach for command line text processing and my instinct. Now, admittedly, I also wanted to just play with Elm. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Who doesn't? It's great. <laughs> yeah. So and, and just like, can you build an Electron app with Elm? And the answer is yes, you, you, yes can, you can. And it's actually pretty cool. But I think that that's really funny that that your instinct is to reach for very powerful text processing command lines, and mine is to reach for writing my own GUI. That's the thing. It's like I I I have a. It's funny because I could see myself doing that. Uh, I could see myself like sitting down and I'm I'm trying to prepare a conference talk, so I'll bike shed and yak shave by building a GUI app. Um, and it's it's I could see myself doing that exact same thing. But it's it was just like hey. I just wrote this chapter on said uh, and and awk and things like that for this book. I probably should put it to some use here, uh, in in various <laughs> different ways myself too. And it's like you're just kind of finding these like when when you know how to use these things, these opportunities just start showing up. It's the weirdest thing. Like 
oh, I, I, I can solve that problem relatively quickly. That's neat. It's definitely true that as you start learning these things, you definitely have the, oh, I have a new hammer. Everything looks like a new nail. Mm-hmm. If you like learn grep, you suddenly uh, see uses for grep everywhere. And conversely, like I have found that like keeping these tools like top of mind in my day-to-day environment becomes a problem. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Is there something you do to remind yourself of cool shortcuts you could be using or or tools that you might improve what you're doing? Well, it's a little different for me because I found myself in this strange world where I'm, I'm writing code, uh, I'm creating tutorials and my day is spent on the command line. You know, if as part of the work that I do for, for my day job is testing out a tutorial that somebody sends in, which means I'm on a server somewhere typing out commands. I need to be able to do that quickly. You know, I got to get those tests, get the testing done quickly to verify that things work so we can move the thing towards publication. So being efficient at that becomes a, a very important thing. So what ways can I be efficient at that? Well, one way I can be efficient at that is take a markdown document and very quickly write something quickly to extract all the commands from the document. You know, so I can just see a list of all the commands that need to be need to be executed on a server. So I have that. Um, there's different things that you start seeing. So for me, to keep it top of mind, I'm using them every day. It's very much like how do you get really good at using a programming language? Well, one way to get really good at it is to use it all the time. Uh, if you use it, if you if you write a thing with Elm and you go, that was awesome, and then you have to go back to writing in uh, in Python for your job all day long, you look at your Elm app in three months from now, you're probably not going to remember how any of it works, right? And I think it's the same thing with command line tools. It's, it's like everything else, every other thing that you want to you want to learn and commit to memory, making an active effort to practice those kinds of things and gain those skills uh, if it's important to you, if it's valuable to you. And I'm not saying that it has to be valuable to everybody. But I am saying that if it is something that you do feel motivated to learn, chances are you'll probably spend a lot of time doing it. There's uh, the ls command is a great example of that. It's something that you know it just it doesn't make sense when you first run it, but it's it's one of those things you just you use so much that you don't even think about doing it anymore. You just start using it over and over again. Yeah, that one I remember. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I have somewhere on my command line a shortcut to what is like a better humanized version of the listing. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I genuinely think is better when I oh, remember yeah. to use it, which is about never. I mean, you just, yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's really funny because you start noticing when you start doing things like, <laughs> like testing a command line book on various operating systems to make sure you've covered all the bases, for example, you start noticing how many people have, how many operating systems ship with an alias version of the LS command. And you don't really realize that, but there's like, uh, I think like Ubuntu's desktop version alias is the LS command by default. So it shows colored output. Yes. Uh, you, know, yeah, you don't really realize that it. they've done that. You just look at it and go, oh, hey, that's handy and confusing. <laughs> <laughs> that's handy. And, that, that was the alternate title of the book. That's handy yes. and confusing. And confusing, yes. <laughs> I Yeah, I I do that. I actually recently like tried to figure – went back because I have built up, like I think many longtime developers, I have a command line practice that involves – a couple things that I, I know pretty well and a couple things that I use intermittently and I'm not sure like not sure that where they come from. Like I'm very dependent on the particular keyboard shortcuts I use for searching command history mm-hmm. and had sort of forgotten where they came from. Um, <laughs> they actually comes from the Z shell, uh, oh my Z shell plugin for command history, which like I, I went sure. back, I actually re- really went back in and like audited all the stuff that I use regularly and tried to remember where it came from and, and tried to figure out if there was a better thing. 
than what I had gotten used to doing, which is, that's actually, was actually a very valuable thing to do was to look at the things, even if you're, you know, not, if you're not a novice, if you've been doing this for a while, to look at the commands you use all the time or the aliases you use all the time and just like, where are they defined? Um, do, do they still make sense? Is there a better thing to do this? No, that's, that's so yeah. very true. For me, I've, I've had this, this desire it's, it, it, it goes back to even when I was using TextMate before I was using Vim. I've been on, I've been on Vim for over 10 years now, but before mm-hmm. that it was TextMate. And, and what I, what I learned from using TextMate was that, because everything I'd used before then, I was sort of at the vendor's mercy. I used, you know, I, I started out my career using Visual Basic and those, those IDEs. And, you know, when I was programming just as a kid, I was using whatever, you know, whatever tools I was given, whatever tool, whatever ID was for the tool. And when I got TextMate, I realized I could make my own keyboard shortcuts for things and I could make my own text expansions for things. And I could really, even I write my own plugins for it. Um, and, and the same thing kind of carried over to Vim. I sort of got really excited about the prospect that I, as a software developer, can actually take these things and apply them to my the, my programming environment. And once the terminal, once the CLI became my programming environment, it became even more exciting. Once I understand how to use all these little tools, I can now make a customized prompt that shows me the information that I need, or I can create my own key bindings in the shell that work on any program that uses read lines. So whether I'm in a Python interpreter or the Ruby interpreter, I can create text expansions and keyboard shortcuts. One of the ones that I have, because I always forget, there's so many programs that take a take command line input, but you have to put double quotes around them, otherwise you'll run into some kind of weird shell escaping thing. Occasionally, I need an exclamation point in a git commit message or something like that. Um, and uh, sometimes I want to be able to, I, I always forget to type the quotes out. Sure. And so what you, you can use a couple keyboard shortcuts to jump to the beginning of the line, then jump to the next word, and then enter the quote, then jump to the end of the line and insert the closing quote. Uh, and I was like, I can just make a keyboard shortcut to do this because I'm forgetting this so often. Let me just make that. And I think that's the thing that really, really appealed to me. It was something that I started, I discovered many years ago that I can really make this my own. I'm not at, I'm not at the mercy of someone else. Just like if you're using a text editor where you can, uh, you can create your own, your own, uh, highlighter if you need to. Like if you're working on a cutting edge programming language and the editor that you're using doesn't support it, if the editor offers the ability for you to create a a tokenizer for that language, you can start doing it now. You can create that now. You're not at anyone else, you're not at some vendor's mercy. That always appealed to me. And so the same thing holds true with being able to create any kind of shortcuts or build systems that I need to be able to create. And I'm, and eventually uh, somebody else will make a better one and I can not use what I'm using anymore. They'll do something better. But at least I'm not held up and I can still be productive and I can own that productivity. Yeah, I think that it's it's definitely true that I had kind of a similar relationship with TextMate and actually the the thing that I'd used right before it, but where I got very excited in being able to customize it and create snippets and 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 things like that. And that carries on. I don't I don't use Vim, but I do use environments that are highly customizable and do tend to customize them because that's where you spend all your time, right? It should be comfortable. Right. Yes. This this is your toolbox, right? You, you should have you, you should understand your tools and and I also think that you were talking about bash prompts, uh, the prompt, and and I think it, it's my kind of experience that that is a very frequently cargo culted piece of of kit, the the prompt. And one of the great things about setting up your prompt right is that if you do it, you will get continual benefits from it without any effort. Furthermore, because it will just show the useful information. 
And I love tools like that where, where the, where I can set it up, where I can do a little bit of customization. And now I get a benefit with no cost. Like I can always tell whether my Git repo is dirty now, just cause that's on my prompt and it, and it costs me no ongoing effort. I don't, I, I don't really, my question, I guess, is do you have, do you know, do you, are there any other tools that you feel like have that kind of very, very high benefit to setup cost ratio? I think the prompt is a, is a big one there. But I also think just using aliases and functions in your shell to supply those default arguments to things. And, you know, the idea of an LS command that the OS is overridden to include colors. I mean, that to me is smart. If you just find yourself typing uh, the same command line options over and over again for something, just the creating an alias for that to save yourself some time. That's incredibly beneficial because it does have it has these these compounding benefits over and over again. One thing I recommend for alias is is to optimize them for ease of memorization and not golfing the lowest amount of keystrokes. Right, right. In there, um, so like ls underscore I don't know ls nice or something like that, rather than like something cryptic. I find I have a limited memory space for cryptic three and four letter acronyms. Yeah. But I can remember things that are short words. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think that's a I think that's a really important one. But I'll tell you the one that saves me time. Like the one there's one I made a function. Mm-hmm. I called it M, it's called it's called MCD. I'm not the only one who thought of who thought of this. Looking on GitHub, I see like you know 40 different repos that people have done this. But all, all it's an, a command called MCD. It's a bash function, and all it does is creates the directory and then switches to it. And, yep. and and it's just something, it's stupid, but it's like, how many times have you created a new directory and then had to CD to that directory? Well, just make a command that does that for you. And that's kind of the thing that I really like about using the command line interface, that that's a small example of something that you can find yourself, you know, you can find a way to, to shorten that. Now I type one command instead of two. By the way, one thing for Ruby developers is there's actually a command line program, which I think is called RB. I'll put it in the show notes. It might not actually be called that, which lets you like, create it's a very very small little utility that is essentially a wrapper around evaling ruby that makes it work with unix pipes in and out and i use that to do a couple of things that you might otherwise reach for set and awk for but i already know how to use ruby so you just pipe like three or four short one-line ruby commands next to each other and do the same kind of text transform and one of the things that i haven't now one of the things we really haven't talked about which i think is kind of interesting and surprising is that one of the issues that could make learning the command line very difficult is that you have the uh, the GNU tools, the GNU uh, Linux tools on uh, things like Ubuntu, and then you have the BSD versions of some of those on your Mac. And so you might look at something online and go, "Oh, that's how you use it," and then you try it and it doesn't work uh, because it's just there's just differences in some of those tools. And SED is one of those. The you know the SED that ships on the Mac is different in how it behaves than the one on Ubuntu machine, for example. And you can certainly, with, with things like Homebrew, you can certainly install the other version of said. But it is one of those things that it creates it creates a bit of a bit of dissonance for people who are trying to follow along on tutorials online. And those tutorials aren't really explicit that, hey, there might be differences in the, in the versions that you're using or the tools that you use. That creates difficulty. It's created difficulty for me, when, for me when teaching it to an audience that I don't control, like I don't know what OS they have. And it, it creates uh, trouble for people when they're trying to do their own, their own independent learning. Yeah, I noticed that you spent a lot of time in the book uh, being very uh, aware of that issue. 
and especially at the beginnings, having people set up and having multiple versions of commands depending on what operating system. But I, I think eventually you ask people to set up an Ubuntu virtual box and go from there. Yeah, because it, I just I want them to focus on learning the thing. I mean, they don't have to do that. But I make it clear that I'm going to use the Linux versions of everything throughout the book. Uh, and that's for two reasons. One, it's not that I don't use a Mac. I love the Mac. I have a Mac. I, that's my primary computer. But Microsoft has kind of gone all, gone all in on their uh, bash for Windows. And that, default, that defaults to Ubuntu. So you're going to use apps to install stuff on there. You're going to use the GNU tools for all that stuff. And so the Mac is the one that's the oddball. So I, I went with that. And... Because I want people to focus on learning the commands, not fighting their operating system. Uh, because I, I, I learned that the hard way teaching, uh, teaching these things to, to actual live humans in an environment where you can get continuous feedback and see where these things break down. And so that's where a lot of stuff in the book comes from. It's, just, it's my experience uh, in classrooms and workshops, kind of knowing where people are going to run into trouble and knowing that, okay, this is a point where there was a lot of contention. This is going to need further explanation. What's a tool we haven't talked about that people should know better than they do? Uh, oh, okay. First of all, like there's there's like built-in ones that you should know better than you do, uh, and then there's additional ones that are uh, indispensable parts of the uh, of like my my workflow. But I think that like the one that I I think that there's a lot of advantage to learning how to use said. I really do. I think that there's there's so many things that you can do very quickly with said that I think might surprise you and delight you. Just there have been times when I want to generate a file and I want to put a date stamp at the bottom of it and that's easy, but I want to put something at the top of the file and I don't have to open up an editor or do any weird command line tricks to pull it off. I can use said to do that and it's incredibly uh, uh, incredibly trivial to do well, to do with said, to just insert something at the top of a file. And I think those are the kinds of things. If you spend yourself spend a lot of time doing text processing, that's a really misunderstood command. It, it seems very scary when you first looking at it. Arcane was the word I was reaching for, but yeah, yeah. I'm going to be just more honest. It seems kind of <laughs> scary, especially especially when someone sh- you know when someone like just gives you a said command to run. But you know, let's 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 be fair. The reason it's scary is that it's using regular expressions. That's reasons why a lot of it looks scary. It's using a regex from something. And and regexes are hard to for some people to understand. And, and I think of the most difficult things to read. I, I like creating them, but I hate coming back and reading them later on. So as a side note, whenever you create a regex, please save it to a properly named variable that explains what the regex is for. <laughs> uh, one thing that we've ta- one thing that we've taken to doing in our code base is uh, the Rubular is a website that lets you test regular expressions. And one thing that the Rubular website does is if you put in a sample regular expression and a sample text string that shows it working, it lets you create a permalink yep. that recreates that uh, regular expression in command line. And we have taken to, as a matter of course, commenting regular expressions with links to a Rubular permalink that shows the regular expression in action. Yeah, that, I've seen I've seen more, pe- more and more people doing that. And I, I want to throw a plug in for something I have no affiliation with whatsoever, but it's a lifesaver for me. And it's called Regex 101. Uh, and that that website, you can paste. You can do the same thing that you do with Rubular, where you can paste in the the regex and you can paste in the text block, and you can also control which regex engine you're using. But it also breaks it down and tells you it it, it breaks apart the regex and tries to explain it to you and tells you this is what this is capturing, this is what this is applying, and and it's very great for like debugging somebody's broken regex too. That's a lifesaver uh, when you when you inherit something that's not documented. Yeah. 
There's a plugin for Atom, the Atom editor, which I've not seen replicated on other editors, and it's called Regex Railroad Diagram. And when you put your cursor over a regular expression, it puts a railroad diagram of that regular expression in the bottom of the window. Yeah, very nice. That you can actually see. It's really cool. And I, I'm not entirely sure why. It seems to have been abandoned, and I'm not entirely sure why or why nobody's tried to do this for other tools. Yeah, anything that can help you visualize the, the, the complicated part is, is good, I think. Yeah. We talked about, uh, you know, like that, you know, set is a great example of a built in tool that I think doesn't get enough love and it should. But I think there's another tool that I think a lot of people uh, would, would find very interesting if they use it. And it's called ENTR. And it's a, you have to install it through your package manager. You can do it through Homebrew. You can do it through Apt. And ENTR it is, it is a file watcher and a script runner. So, you, you know, instead of installing something, really weird and complicated to automatically run a test when the file changes or, you know, reload a browser when something changes, ENTR can just do that. It's small, it's uh, incredibly fast, uh, and it's an incredibly versatile tool. Cool. I, I don't I think, think I'm familiar should, with that. I don't think, I, I think a lot of people aren't, but oh my goodness, is it, it's great. We have, we have just justified the last 35 minutes of your life, apparently. <laughs> You're going to save all that time. This, this is going to be the, this is the only episode of the podcast that has been time ROI positive uh, that we've ever done. Okay. I'm very excited about that. Okay. Well, we are, we're kind of coming up on time. What else do you want to, what else do you want to talk about? I'm fine continuing to talk about things, things, uh, you know, CLI related and, and dev related. Yeah. But one of the things that, one of the things that is, is really important to me, we kind of touched on it briefly. One of the things that's really important to me is the idea of, of practice as part of continuous improvement. And it's one of the reasons why I wrote the Exercises for Programmers book. Uh, Another great book. We'll put that in the show notes too. Yeah, on, on the surface, that book is like really trivial. Like the first exercise in the book is something that I used to have my students do on the first day of class, which is write a program that, when you enter your name, it just prints back hi, comma, and then the person's name, and then an exclamation point. It's a f- simple string concatenation type program. And so, if you're using, if you're doing it in Ruby, that's a one line. If you're doing it in Python, that's a you know, that's like a two line or one line, depending on how you write it. And you can do it, and it's it's very uh, not very complicated. Do it in Go. A little more complicated involves a little bit more code, not too much. You're just gonna you're gonna create a main function. You're gonna have to um, import some stuff. Do it in Elixir, very very small amount of code to pull that off. Do it in Elm, it's considerably more. It's considerably more code, and do it in iOS, and it's a whole different approach, a whole different ballgame. And so the the purpose of the book was originally was. It was the exercises that I used daily in my introduction to programming class that I taught and to, to give students practice writing code before you assess them. I mean, I don't think it's fair. I never thought it was fair for people to just show you a bunch of stuff and then assess you on it and give you a grade on it. Uh, I think that the missing link to learning is practice and getting feedback on it before you actually attempt something. And so that's what I, I had I had put those exercises together for. And at the same time, while I was teaching beginners JavaScript, I was learning Elixir. So I just like, well, I'm going to just write these things that I'm doing for my students. I'm going to write them in Elixir. And holy cow, did it teach me Elixir. And I, I was able to dig in and learn those kinds of things. And now I'm delighted when I see people share their solutions to problems in the book in various, various programming languages. 
And I'm delighted because it, it's showing me that, that they're practicing. They're putting in that, that a little bit of a, a additional time. If you're, if you're learning a musical instrument, you're going to practice. If you're learning a martial art, you're going to practice. Uh, if you're learning programming, you should probably practice that. And it's a lot of times pretty hard to get that practice because you've got some kind of a deadline coming up. So I'm, I'm delighted that there are people who are able to find the time to read this book. And I'm delighted that this book gives them a learning pathway in order to pull that off. That seems like a good note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to talk to you more about your books or about command lines or, or learning development in general, uh, where can they find you? Twitter. Twitter is probably the best place. B as in Brian, P as in Patrick, H-O-G-A-N. Okay, that's great. Brian, um, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been I'm really happy to have finally gotten a chance to talk to you. Oh, it's been great. Tech Done Right is a production of TableXI and is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. You can find TableXI on Twitter at TableXI, and you can find me on Twitter at Noel Rapp. The podcast is edited by Mandy Moore, who you can find on Twitter at The Ruby Rep. Tech Done Right can be found at techdoneright.io or downloaded wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us feedback or ideas on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. And of course, if you like the show, telling a friend, a colleague, your social media network, your boss, anybody else, that would all be very, very helpful. And a review on Apple Podcasts helps people find the show. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right. Tech Done Right.